Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and we welcome you to our next episode in a special series addressing transfer pricing readiness amid economic uncertainty. In today's episode, we will be discussing transfer pricing and the interrelationship with customs and trade. As the expectations for economic growth are scaled back significantly, and in some sectors expected to contract, it is now more important than ever to look at product flows from both a transfer pricing and trade perspective. As we have shared in the past, transfer pricing and trade policies can impact one another, and it's important to consider both collectively. Joining me today to discuss this, I have Chris Desmond, a transfer pricing partner with PwC US, Lionel Van Riet, a customs and international trade partner with PwC Belgium, and Métis Pereira, a Customs and International Trade Managing Director with PwC US. Chris is our moderator for today, so Chris, I will hand it over to you to get the discussion started. Thanks, Dana. I really appreciate that. I'm really excited to have both Métis joining from New York and Lionel joining from Belgium. Quite the dynamic international crowd here. And I think that's part of what we're really talking about today is the international triggers that are happening with multinational corporations. And when we're talking about the stage and setting the stage for transfer pricing, one of the big pieces companies are looking at now is actually modifying their transfer pricing policies due to COVID-19, due to this crazy kind of uh, quarter that's going on. And what we wanted to do is go through different discussion topics on this. And one of the industries that had been hit the hardest is consumer markets and retailers with their spring stock, um, thinking through markdown, donation, duty drawback. And, and I thought we'd turn first to Métis to kind of go through the consumer market retail space a little bit, what companies are thinking through and, and how you guys are looking at things from a, a trade and potentially transfer pricing perspective. Métis? Hey, Chris, thank you. Um, you're absolutely right. The consumer markets um, space has probably been the most impacted never in in its history uh, have they experienced both um, the disastrous situations that we see in the United States where every state in the union um, is has been declared a national disaster, but having the same impact across the world. Um, and for retailers and uh, in the consumer market space, this happened at a time when their inventories were at their at their greatest peak levels, um, partially coming as a result of the spring season and m much of the product being seasonal, but also because much of the product was coming from China, which usually implies uh, delays and difficulties with respect to their annual Lunar New Year holidays. So in the consumer market space, they've been building those inventories that now are aging by the day and becoming obsolete um, because so much of the product is seasonal. So those companies are facing a challenge of what to do with that inventory as they look forward to moving ahead and opening up new seasonal inventory will be on its way. Um, they have to look at what is the optimization of that inventory, turning it to cash, because as we all know, liquidity is a major concern for all companies today. And um, looking at 
that inventory as the potential for a cash generator, uh, whether it means looking at the traditional channels of marking down within the traditional consumer um, audience or looking at liquidation models uh, or duty drawback, which can be especially important for companies today because it allows them the opportunity to recover the duties that have already been paid and actually retrieve a refund with respect to that cost uh, that's already been incurred. But by doing so in an optimized manner uh, where they're exporting the goods, either in the context of a liquidation or perhaps a donation, but a directed donation where the goods are exported, they get the benefit of a liquidation sale um, a potential charitable contribution tax benefit, but also the recovery of that duty refund through drawback. And that is something that is really important for uh, in the consumer market space for companies to look at as an opportunity to uh, achieve some liquidity and, and, and generate some cash from those aging inventories that really need to be disposed of in order to plan for uh, the opening and um, the future in terms of their business. That's um, that, that's that's great, Miti, and I, and I know from a transfer pricing perspective, a lot of companies are also just trying to figure out like where do they put the inventory? Do they kind of you know make sure that we keep things in a free trade zone to defer, let's say, tariffs and and other things that. Uh, would cause that cash outlay to to speed up. Now you can delay that. So I think there's a lot of good combinations between the trade and the transfer pricing space in helping that particular, I would say, market. And when we think about going through and modifying transfer pricing, um, you know, I know I'm going to go to you on this one because what we're seeing is that companies have all kinds of different transactions. They have tangible, intangible, and services. And one of the main ones, you know, even when we think about retail, we think about distributors and we think about distributors globally and distributor margins and contract manufacturing margins. And companies are looking to see maybe how do we bring those margins down and manage those margins and whether or not they're in the arm's length range or not. But there's also a play on trade, right? If you're going to be changing any of the let's say, you know, tangible transfer prices. What's your take right now on this and, and what companies probably need to be looking at? Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. Indeed, well, as you know, in a word or, or in a thousand, I mean, that there is an impact. Do you know whether that, that, that this will have an impact? Yes, it has an impact on trade. Uh, we all know that TP, transfer pricing and customs value, they are close to one another, somehow related, but though not entirely similar, of course. Uh, but both really fundamental in, into this world. So similar as they are looking at aiming at establishing a fair price between the related parties uh, and the fair price that is not always affected by the relationship between the parties as a taxable basis for, for the payment of taxes. So when actually a company is looking at modifying an intercompany tangible product pricing, it has an effect. It has a trade impact because as you mentioned rightfully, the, the price needs to remain at arm's length. It has to be valid for both transfer pricing and customs valuation. That's the first one. But okay, changing price from a transfer pricing perspective happens over a period of time. So when you are altering price from a customs perspective, that happens on a transaction basis. So technically, you always face um, the obligation to report these 
and to repose this uplift or actually downstream adjustment. So you need to adapt your trade compliance reporting accordingly. And in a lot of countries, I'm not only talking about the, the EU, but in a lot of countries around the world, if you do that, that will have a direct impact on your compliance because very often the authorities will ask you to issue additional uh, customs declaration that also on their turn will put you on their radar saying why have you modified that that price is that can you substantiate that uh, can, can, do you have enough uh, material to to justify that is that within the the right proportion so that there you see an impact and then a very concrete impact that a lot of companies tend to forget and that's the last one is that people usually tend to forget that if they start to to change and modify their prices this could add also not only a pro, uh, an impact on customs valuation but also for instance on the way you're using free trade agreements so your preferential origin because very often the rules there are, are based on prices so if you start to decrease for instance a price you may end up in a position not being able to justify the benefit of a preferential origin so technically by doing something good on one side you may lose not only on customs value but also on, on preferential origin and there i think that that these are the, the trade impact um, that that we should keep in in mind one, one other thing to think about too i mean you're you're in belgium and there's so many uh, multinational companies that have structures that involve a european principle or holding company and so we also are dealing with companies that are are not only adjusting the tangible property prices, but also royalties and services. And is, is there a trade impact too, if if one does adjust a royalty rate or a service, if I'm the head of tax and I'm going, well, I'm going to start changing maybe the royalties to make sure we put the profits in the right bucket. What's the word of caution there if there is one? Good, good, good point. I mean, yeah, there you, you spot on. You, you touch an everlasting discussion uh, between authorities and, and companies is how do we go along? How do we deal with those royalties? Do they have to be included or not? Do they have to be included in full or not? So in a minute or so, uh, I'll try to tell you more about what's happening and what has happened over the last, uh, I would say, two, two three years. Because that's from May 16, with the new legislation in Europe kicking in, um, the, the rules have been a bit more strict, a bit more rigid, certainly for multinationals, where before there was a, a, a conditional saying you may fall under these, these rules. Now, the mere fact of being a multinational is unfortunately qualifying you and making you uh, actually covering one of the, the two conditions that, that needs to be covered in order to be included as a, as a royalty to, to the customs value price. The two conditions are whether that royalty or that service relate to the goods being imported, that's the first one. And second, whether it's a condition of the sale. If you were multinational, that second being condition of the sale, nowadays is being considered by lots of, uh, of customs authorities as being a given. And the, the latitude in order to step out of it is, is not as, as big as it was before. So there, uh, we definitely encourage uh, companies to, to have a good look at, at the way they, they, have, um, they went uh, around with royalties uh, over the last um, couple of years, because the authorities, they will be behind you. They will come after you because they know that there is a lot of uncertainty. So that's, um, that, that's really important for companies to keep in mind. Now, what we see also, and I'll, uh, and I'll finish with, with that, is that you don't always have to include the service in full 
or you don't always have to include the royalties in full. As I mentioned, it has to be related to the goods being imported. A lot of, for instance, the royalties, they have to do with after importation, post importation type of cost, like the marketings and the way the way local people will, will promote the, the product. That has nothing to do with the importation. And those services, those royalties and relates to, to all of that, they could be uh, deconstructed from the customs value because they only happen after importation. So uh, I think that this is quite key uh, to, to be kept in mind that the royalty uh, issue is not, is not a given as a whole. It can be discussed with the authorities. So I think the, the quick takeaway, if I'm just trying to simplify the, the answer is that if we can point the royalty or service related to the manufacturing, that's where you need to take caution. If it relates to um, SG&A costs, trademark and trade name may not be as impactful. Is that fair? That, that indeed, that may be, but pay attention also the trademark uh, exception has been uh, abolished. That's one of the fun facts of 2016 in, in Europe, uh, not really in the US, but actually in Europe. So, so that's where, that's where it's, it's important always to keep that in mind that you're right. Okay, well, that, that's really helpful. So if, if I'm gonna be changing transfer pricing, tangible royalties or service, I need to talk to my friendly trade person to, to help me out to make sure I'm not gonna cause a problem. That's the bottom line that it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And then let's go to our last topic, um, duty drawback. And duty drawback is something, Métis, that you and, and, and the customs team do a lot of, and you've been doing that for years. But now this is something where it, it, it provides cash to companies. And when you look at it from a U.S. perspective, we're, we're looking at you know, the imports and exports from a U.S. company and the pricing uh, of them that could influence things. In, in transfer pricing, you know, sometimes you have intercompany transactions there. So are, are you guys, when you're, when you're working with companies and, and working on duty drawback, what is the kind of interplay with transfer pricing, if at all? Or is it something that you guys are, are, are kept separate? What, what are your thoughts on the, you know, potential, um, you know, overplay with, with transfer pricing and duty drawback? Yes, Chris. In the duty drawback environment, the the potential for recovery is predicated on the duties that were paid on the import of merchandise and in a multi uh, in a related party environment that that value is coming out of at that that um, intercompany sale likewise on the export the value of that export sale, that transaction, is what is going to give us the ability to recover duties that were paid on the import. Therefore, the transfer pricing strategies that are incorporated into setting that intercompany price on the initial transaction as well as on the export transaction are really pivotal in being able to optimize the amount of duty recovery that a company can achieve within their duty drawback program. Yeah, that makes sense. And so basically the takeaway is this, you know, you guys are looking at duty drawback um, historically, of course, and then uh, on a go forward perspective, that is gonna be always a, a concern of, of really then what the program might provide. And it's, easily influenced is what I'm hearing 
if a company has intercompany policies, either for imports and exports on a go forward perspective. So if they're gonna be changing some of the pricing, like we were talking about with Lionel, we need to make sure that maybe there is some modeling done if they have a duty drawback program in place, because they actually might be uh, providing a, a detriment to the company that they don't realize. Exactly, exactly. The, the opportunity to optimize their drawback programs is really uh, a function of being able to have that, uh, that correlation between the strategy from the transfer pricing perspective, as well as taking into consideration the trade implications of that strategy. And we've seen very significant differences in what a, a drawback recovery can look for a company that simply allows drawback to happen without looking at or bearing in mind the potential uh, in their transfer pricing policies versus those companies who take a more holistic approach and consider the implications on their drawback programs when they're sitting their transfer pricing policies. I'm seeing a common theme here of the need to make sure <laughs> you have a discussion with the trade team if you're modifying transfer pricing. So I think that that's really the, the theme that I'm hearing from all three discussion points. So let's uh, let's kind of bring this to an end and, and get kind of the one to two takeaways uh, from each of you. So now I'm gonna probably start with you if that's okay. What's kind of like that takeaway for the folks that are listening, especially for the folks that are in charge of a transfer pricing function, head of tax that you'd wanna make sure they have that nugget to take away from the podcast? Thanks, Chris. Uh, I think that actually one of the takeaways is that indeed um, you mentioned that several times. I mean, it's it's more than ever the time to uh, be between transfer pricing uh, professionals and 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 also trade professionals within a company that they talk to each other, that they engage with one another. I mean, the OECD is really busy with uh, with, with looking at how <laughs> the the setting of the rules needs to be needs to evolve going forward. Uh, and likewise, uh, on the customs valuation perspective, the same happens. National customs authorities it's very high on the agenda. And since I mean, trade and customs is is an above the line cost that has direct impact on the margin of the companies, a direct impact on the working capital management. So that's why transfer pricing and trade experts needs to uh, needs to talk to one another. That's a great point. Métis, how about you? What are some some thoughts? Sure. Um, I'd say for particularly those companies in the consumer market sector that have been so significantly impacted, um, looking at their inventories in a strategic manner um, with a view toward optimizing the potential to monetize those inventories by looking at a much broader perspective of options or alternatives um, into how to dispose of that inventory. The traditional avenues that companies are accustomed to using in order to dispose of excess inventory won't be as effective in the current environment because there is essentially a glut, not only for a given company, but across all companies, and also uh, the companies that they generally would use for those liquidations, those traditional channels, are experiencing the same conditions. So thinking more broadly and considering things like duty drawback and directed exports liquidations or donations might be uh, the optimal way to 
take those inventories and convert them to cash. That's great advice. Very insightful. Métis and Lionel, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I think this was um, a great insight into the uh, overlap between the world of transfer pricing and trade. Dana, we're going to send it back to you. Thank you, Chris, Métis, and Lionel, and thank you to our listeners. We will continue to release these podcasts regularly and as the transfer pricing environment demands. We also encourage you to reach out to your regular PwC transfer pricing contact for immediate response. As always, your PwC team stand ready to accompany you on this journey every step of the way. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.